Welcome to Mission Viejo Christian Church. Today, Pastor Mike Maiola is bringing the word to you. So open up your Bibles and listen in. Mike delivers the message today. Love you, son. Love you too, son. All right. This is Youth Takeover Sunday. So all of our junior high, all of our young adults, this whole section over here, it's just good to feel young again, right? So this is, I just want you to know if you're visiting with us or maybe second, third, or fourth time, this is just kind of a, a different Sunday where we wanted to honor and celebrate all of our young people. They are not the church of tomorrow, they are the church of now. We're all in the same family, and so I'm really just excited we get to hear from them and uh, just get to be young again. So our, one of our passions here is we want to reach more young people. They are the generation, I believe, that's going to really make a change in our world. And we need to support them, pray for them, and love them. So if you're here with us, just really glad you're here, young people. And um, I just want you to know we have a guest speaker today. He's our youth pastor. His name is Pastor Zach. And he's our junior high and high school pastor. He uh, attended Hope International University, got his youth ministry degree from that college. But he's really kind of been in training all of his life. His great-grandfather was a pastor. His grandfather is a pastor. His father is a pastor up in Fresno. Church is just exploding in growth. And so we're just really, really excited you get to bring the word to us, man. I'm ready to hear from God through you. He's got an incredible message about anyone here need hope? We're going to be hearing what God says about having hope. So Pastor Zach, would you come and share the word with us, brother? Hello. Uh, you guys doing all right? Hey, well, it's an honor to be here. I am so thrilled uh, to not only be here speaking to you today, but just to be uh, helping the, the person who helps oversee youth ministry, junior high, and the high school students. You might have seen them ushering, greeting you, uh, passing out trays and bags. Students, we love you. Thank you so much for your service today. Can we give them a round of applause? Students, make some noise if you're here. Uh, it's just, uh, that's awesome to see. That's awesome to see as, as a young leader, seeing these young students uh, rise up to the call and uh, keep this, this mission of Jesus Christ moving. And so today is going to be a fantastic morning. Um, I'm, I'm glad you're here. I hope today, like Pastor Mike said, we're going to get into this theme, this message of hope, or uh, maybe some hopelessness, mind you. Um, but thank you, Pastor Mike, for that intro and just for this opportunity. Um, hope you guys are ready. Um, before we get into the text, yes, I am a fourth generation uh, pastor. My grandfather, great-grandfather, and my, my father, uh, they're all pastors, uh, the family business is kind of how I refer to it. And um, just because that's the case, I don't know what to expect today. So uh, don't expect that correlation to mean this is going to be great on the stage, okay? Um, but in fact, um, there's just something that my grandfather did uh, every time that he spoke, every time that he preached. And for about 20 years, he was an assistant pastor to my dad up in Fresno. And so every time he spoke, he would ask the congregation, three very simple questions. And so I'm going to teach you those questions and those answers. So we're going to do a trial run. We're going to do a practice run. And then we're going to go through for the real deal. Does that sound okay? 
Okay, so question number one I'm going to ask you is, what's his name? And you will respond by saying, Jesus. Let's try it. What's his name? Jesus. Okay, first service was better. Um, <laughs> and there was less of them. Okay, let's try it again. Question number one, what's his name? Jesus. Amen. Okay, question number two, I'm going to say, what's he like? And you're going to say, big. What's he like? Big. Question number three, I'll say, well, how big is he? And you'll answer by saying, this big. So, how big is he? Okay, good, good trial run. Here we go. Let's, let's run through it from the top. Uh, here we go. Question number one, what's his name? Jesus. And question number two, what's he like? Big. And how big is he? Big. Jesus is big. Jesus is good. Let me just pray for our time together. Lord, we love you. We praise you. You are good and you are big. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this opportunity God, use uh, these young people, this next generation rising up. Use me right now, Father. We love you and praise you in your name. Amen. Well, if you have a television or any form of uh, a way um, to get information, to get media, to see the news, you've probably seen some interesting things taking place, not only in this last week, but in the weeks prior, in the months prior Every time I turn on the TV, it seems like our political parties are gaining momentum and losing momentum. People are dying. People are hurt. People are frustrated. Presidents are trying to get impeached. World War III might be around the corner. I don't know what's happening. But if you look at our surrounding city, if you look in your home, in your workplace, in your schools, what's going on? What's taking place there's a lot. There's a lot happening. And uh, we see it and we feel it. And for these students who I have the privilege of leading, uh, 20, 30, 10 years ago, when you were growing up, you probably had no idea what kind of things our students would experience and go through. Even from when I was in high school, uh, just a few years ago, things just seemed to be rising and coming against our students. And we're seeing more and more students and people in general just battle with and struggle with depression, anxiety, uh, self-worth, identity, suicidal thoughts. And if they're not thinking it, they probably know someone who is. The number of students who are unchurched is on the rise. The number of students uh, who are leaving the church uh, at any point, typically when they graduate high school, those numbers are on the rise. It's It's tough. It's not the easiest place to live today, our world. And what matters is that no matter how tough it gets, what truly matters today, church, is where do we put our hope? Are we going to put our hope in Jesus? Or are we going to put it in things that this side of eternity don't really matter? Every every year, I seem to put my hope in the Dallas Cowboys. It's rough. Every year I think this is the year we're going to do it. 
uh, we might make the playoffs, maybe we can beat the Eagles twice, and just every year I feel like the stock market, it's just we're up and we're down and we're up, and even though we'll be riding this high when we beat the three worst teams in the league, and then we play a mediocre team who's better than us, we lose, and it all comes crashing down. I'm tired of that. But what I'm tired of, too, is putting our hope in things. Me putting my hope in the Cowboys, is, it means nothing. It's, it's almost useless. It is useless. And so uh, today, I want to talk about the only thing worth putting our hope in is, in fact, a person, and his name is Jesus Christ, because Jesus is forever. Football is not forever. <laughs> Our family, unfortunately, is not forever. Our finances are not forever. Our job, it's not forever. Our car, our house, our things, it's not forever. And time and time again, I see people, I see uh, adults and students alike, we put our hope in things that do not truly matter. And sometimes uh, things get in the way, such as uh, addiction, drugs, alcohol, uh, unhealthy relationships, even with Kids as young as junior high, whatever you put your hope in does not matter unless you put your hope in Jesus Christ. And today, we're going to look at that. We're going to see that. Hopefully, we feel that today, church, because no matter if you're a student or an adult, I feel like we tend to put our hope in very odd things, like the cowboys. We love to put our hope in these things that are just so far off. If I surveyed the people in this room and, and asked you, said, hey, do you know what Jesus wants? I'd be willing to bet that you would say, yeah, I know he wants a, a tight-knit, close relationship between me and him. And if I asked you, uh, do you consider yourself a Christ follower? I think most of us in this room would probably say yes. However, if you're not in that boat, if you're not a Christ follower, you're checking things out today, you're checking out church or Jesus, I'm so glad you're here. I hope something connects with you and resonates with you today. And regardless, student, adult, Christ follower or not, he has to be the most important thing in our life. And sometimes, as we know, that should be the case. He should be up here at the top, our priority. We refuse to act on it. And speaking from my own personal experience and the experience that I witness with our students like I said, we know and we understand where Jesus should be, but he's not there all the time. And I feel like it's easy to get sidetracked. It's easy for us to lose sight of where Jesus needs to be. And I think the thing that sidetracks us the most is, in fact, our sin. And, and if it wasn't for the power of Jesus and his Holy Spirit, I would still be stuck and dead in my sin. And adults and students, again, we know what to do, but we don't always do it. And I don't want you to beat yourself, beat yourself up over this. This has been a problem for quite some time. In fact, we're going to look at uh, some, some scripture today that goes over all of this. I don't want you to feel discouraged. I want you to feel encouraged. I want you to understand that you are not alone. No matter what is uh, going on, no matter what decisions you've made or have made or will make, uh, doesn't matter where or who your hope and trust is in now, uh, today we're going to learn that Jesus is the person we need to put our hope and trust in. 
And so we might be dealing with all of this hope talk, but my question for you, church, is have you ever felt hopeless? Have you, have you ever felt like no matter what you did, nothing seemed to work? No matter how hard you tried, nothing seemed to create or cause your situation to turn around for the good. For me, a few months back, I, I had my three family members, my father, uh, my grandfather, and my uncle were all dealing with and struggling with pretty severe health issues. My dad was experiencing uh, multiple seizures almost every day for over a year. The doctors said, I don't know what's happening. My uncle, <laughs> he had bone marrow cancer and was on the search for someone who could donate theirs. And my, my grandfather's been sick for years. He's, he's dealt with Parkinson's and cancer and liver failure, and he's barely hanging on. And so here I am in Mission Viejo, 300 miles away from Fresno, and I'm trying, what can I do? I feel so useless. I feel so hopeless. There, there's nothing I can do for this situation. Have you ever been there? And so we're actually going to look uh, at, at a very interesting uh, book of the Bible today. It's called Lamentations. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and flip to the book of Lamentations. If you don't know what a lament is, it means a, a, um, it's a, an expression of grief and sorrow. And so literally this book is just filled with grief and sorrow. And you're probably thinking, hey, the youth guy is coming up to stage. He might talk about something exciting and, and friendly and nice. We'll get to that. But this book is literally the, the book of laments, the book of grief, the book of sorrow. And so where this falls uh, with what Pastor Mike has been talking about for this series, Clash of Kings, that, that we're in uh, uh, last week and then in the weeks to come, and we were in it in November, um, it fits perfectly within our context. And so if you've been here, you might know the context. If you haven't been here, uh, I'll give you a little brief history lesson. So what happens is God chooses this guy by the name of Abram. And he chooses this guy and he says, hey, I'm going to make you into a great nation. You will actually become my people through your uh, offspring. And so God uses Abram, who becomes Abraham, to... Uh, become God's people. And fast forward through some time, we see God's people are eventually enslaved and they're captive in Egypt. And so who does he send? He sends Moses. Maybe you've heard of him. Uh, and he sends this guy named Moses and he saves the day and he, he brings God's people out of slavery and he's leading them and he actually dies and this guy by the name of Joshua comes into power and he leads God's people to the promised land but then these people, God's people, get this crazy idea. And instead of following the one true God that has saved them time and time again, they get this idea and they say, hey, uh, we're kind of sick and tired of you, God. How about you give us a human king? We don't really want to rely on you anymore. And that will ultimately be their downfall. And so we have these kings, King Saul, King David, King Solomon, those are kind of like the main three. And then after them, uh, we see king after king come into power. He'll do something good and yay, yay. And, and then he'll do evil in the eyes of the Lord, the Bible says. And he'll get replaced. And it's this repetitive cycle time and time again. I call it the sin cycle. 
and they sin, and they repent, and they cry out to God, God, save us. We won't do it again. Okay, I save you. And then, oh, here we are yet again. And it repeats throughout the entire Old Testament and even when Jesus comes on the scene. And their main sin is that they turn their backs on God. They worship uh, these false images and idols and these pagan gods. I mean, that definitely doesn't happen to us 21st century Americans. We don't let anything come in the way of our relationship with our Heavenly Father, right? And over and over again, this happens. And so God, he calls out to a human and he says, hey, I'm going to use you and I'm going to use you to be a spokesperson for me. I'm going to tell you everything that you need to say and you're going to preach and prophesy to my people. And so God calls uh, this prophet by the name of Jeremiah to, to preach to his people, to get them to turn away from their sin and to repent and go back to God. But what happens, and if you've been here, this is kind of where the context fits, if you've been here for Clash of Kings, uh, you know that God's people are eventually exiled. They're taken away. They're taken captive out of their land, and they go to Babylon. And so Jeremiah's role before they were exiled was to be this spokesperson for God. And he was trying to get them to understand, hey, your actions, they have consequences. And he even tells them, there's going to be a king, and he's going to come into power, and he's going to remove us from the city unless you stop doing what you're doing. And so this king, Nebuchadnezzar, who we've been learning about in Daniel, he comes and lays siege on the city for two years, and eventually he gets through the city walls and the gates, and he takes God's people, and he marches them to this distant land. You see, the book of Jeremiah, however, is him crying out to God's people saying, repent, repent, repent. And it doesn't happen. And so Jeremiah is left in this broken city. Everything's destroyed. The walls are, are, are taken down. People are dead. Things are not looking too good. It was literally a hopeless situation. God's people were once again in captivity and they were as broken as they had ever been. Have you ever been there? Maybe some of us are in this situation right now. Do you feel like the enemy is laying siege on your life? Are the walls of your life tumbling down? I want to get to what happens to Jeremiah in the book of Lamentations. You see, this book is written actually as a poem. It's, it, it's written in uh, poetic format, but it's a um, funeral for Jerusalem. And so Jeremiah is writing this, and it's five chapters. In chapters one, two, four, and five, he's crying out, bearing his emotions, saying, I've been telling you guys this would happen. And now Jeremiah is living it first-handedly. He's experiencing the destruction, the heartache of his friends and his people getting ripped away from their homeland. Walls broken and destroyed. Everything is gone and done for. And in this moment of tragedy, what is Jeremiah going to do? In your moment of tragedy, what are you going to do? So Lamentations Chapter 3 starts with Jeremiah recalling his life, recalling everything that has taken place. You can read it in the book of Jeremiah. 
and, and he's been on the run and he's been mocked and made fun of and he even feels like God has turned his back on him because he's, he's saying, God, you told me what to speak to your people and yet they did not listen. And so he's recalling everything that's, that's happened to him. And so this is where we'll pick up in Scripture, Lamentations chapter 3, verses 17 through 32. I've been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. This is Jeremiah remembering all the, the trouble that he's felt with, felt and, and experienced and dealt with. He says, yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. This yet this part is, is what's about to come. Even after everything that he's experienced, he calls this to mind and therefore he has hope. Hope. This is what he says, church. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. Let him sit alone in silence, for the Lord has laid it on him. Let him bury his face in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him offer his cheek to one who would strike him. and Let him be filled with disgrace, for no one is cast off by the Lord forever. None of you in this room have been cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. Jeremiah, in the middle of the storm, he's literally in the middle of this city that has been ruined and destroyed and his friends killed or taken captive. And he, he's thinking all of these things. How can he be thinking this in this time of need? He remembers everything that happened to him and to the city. He says, I will remember, and my soul is downcast. I remember my pain and my suffering, my bitterness and my wandering. And yet Jeremiah still has who or what is your hope in today? Even when things are terribly wrong, when your back is against the wall, when your family is dealing with a medical condition or you might be in that, in the midst of your death and destruction and despair, God is still good. Lamentations 22, uh, chapter 3, verse 22, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. We are not consumed. His compassions never fail. Every single morning, the Lord is our portion. Wait quietly on him. And I don't know if you needed to hear that this morning, but I did. It's so easy for me to forget all of the good things God has done in my life. It's so easy for me to see just the, the little image 
that is only right here in front of my face, but God sees from the aerial view and he sees the entire picture. Jeremiah knew this. He felt it. He experienced it. And even though he was in the midst of this destruction, he knew that God is still good. How are we like the people of the city? How are we like the Israelites disobeying, not listening to God, not listening to the people speaking life and truth to us. We, we do what we want. We say what we want. We set up these false images and idols and we abandon God. And maybe you've been in church for a long time. You don't miss. You serve. You, you tithe. You, you live here. I haven't turned my back against God. What are you talking about, Zach? Maybe that's true, but I don't think I'm the only one who deals with and wrestles with sin. And every day when I sin, I choose to separate myself and turn my back against God. Maybe some of us in this room, maybe, hey, our sin problem isn't that big of a deal. I need that. (laughs) But maybe you feel like your life is uh, being besieged in another way. Maybe you feel like life is heavy right now and you feel the weight of the world on your shoulders and in your soul and, and just in your life. Your sin might necessarily might not necessarily be the problem, but maybe your circumstance is. Maybe your health is. Maybe like me, uh, your family is sick. Maybe you are sick. A loved one is sick. For me, um, I, I also uh, just feel hopeless leading these students sometimes. I feel like no matter what, I say no matter what I do, no matter how hard I try, they're not going to understand. They're not going to get it. And fortunately enough, uh, for me, that's okay because that's not my job. That's Jesus' job. And so maybe uh, for you, like I said, family member, maybe your job situation feels hopeless. Maybe you just got laid off. Your finances are, are tough. Maybe your car is broken again. Maybe you're in this relationship that uh, you either shouldn't be in or you want to be in, but it, it just seems like maybe it's not working out. How do you cope? What do you turn to? Who do you trust? Do you trust yourself? Do you trust your friends, your family, or do you put your hope and trust in Jesus Christ? No matter uh, where you find yourself in our story today, maybe you've been uh, taken captive Or maybe like Jeremiah, you're just sitting in the middle of this destruction and the despair. I want to let you know, church, that God is still good. And again, maybe uh, for you students, uh, maybe it's the divorce of your parents. Maybe, um, Maybe a friend took a life. Maybe a friend lost a life. For you adults, maybe your marriage is on the rocks. Maybe your job is in, in, in dire need to change. Or maybe your mortgage is consuming you. Whatever is taking place in your life, wherever you find yourself today, uh, whether uh, you're going through this destruction or despair today, you, you will eventually face something. Are you living in the fact that God is still good? And I'm not saying this as a cop-out to our problems. That's not fair but it's so easy to lose sight 
of the one who is good. And it's a truth that I need reminding of each and every day. In fact, God is literally so good that he sends his one and only son to earth to die for us on behalf of our sin. And he lives this perfect, blameless life. And God's people have been waiting for the Messiah, for the Christ to come and save them. And instead of welcoming Jesus with open arms, they crucify him. They throw him on a cross. Just like the people of the Old Testament constantly reject God. Sometimes, uh, like our, our situation in the Old Testament and lamentations, God allows his people to be overtaken and taken captive. And, and for us today, we actively choose to separate ourselves when we choose to sin. And if you don't have Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I don't want to scare you, but uh, we eventually will all die, and the severity of life without Jesus is death, literally and spiritually. So I want to ask my question again, where is your trust today? Jesus. Who do you put your hope in today? Jeremiah knew God was still good, even in the midst of this hopeless situation, the destruction of the city, this dark and hopeless time. He knew that God was still good, and we can turn to Jesus today, too. If you are in need of restoration, God can restore you today. Jeremiah knew God was still good. He knew things uh, would be restored. And I want to I tell you how he knew. It's because he prophesied it in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 33, verses 6 through 9 and 14 through 16. This is what he says. This is God speaking through him. Nevertheless, I will bring health and healing to it, meaning the city. I will heal my people and will let them enjoy abundant peace and security. I will bring Judah and Israel back from captivity and will rebuild them as they were before. I will cleanse them from all the sin they have committed against me and will forgive all their sins of rebellion against me. Then this city will bring me renown, joy, praise, and honor before all nations on earth that hear of all the good things I do for it. And they will be in awe and will tremble at the abundant prosperity and peace I provide for it. Continuing in verse 14, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. In the midst of this death and destruction of the city, Jeremiah knew that God was still good and he would keep his promises. Jeremiah knew the city would be restored. And as he's writing Lamentations, he recalls this moment. And in your time of hopelessness, Jesus is the one who can restore you. 
Jesus is the one you should put your hope into. We don't have to be taken captive. We don't have to wait 70 years. You can be restored today, right now. In the midst of whatever is going on in your life, whether you actively choose it in your sin or maybe it's a circumstance you find yourself in, where and who do you put your trust in? Do you hope that things will magically just, ah, things are better, that's fantastic. Or do you put your hope in the person who paid the price for you? Because when Jesus died, he had you in mind. What do, we, what do we do with this? For me, as I go through what I refer to as the sin cycle, I, I do it to myself. And I feel like a silly Israelite at times, just choosing to go against God because I settle for what I have rather than what could be. Meaning the sin, the now, what I want to do takes precedent from what I could have in eternity with the Lord. And we, we, we settle for ourselves time and time again, but what could be is a strong, hope-filled, truth-knowing relationship with Jesus Christ. But the sin seems so much better in the moment. We're going to do a brief exercise. Everyone just uh, close your eyes for a moment. I'm going to walk you, walk you through something. Close your eyes. No peeking. Imagine you're in a room. And you're sitting at a table. And in the middle of that table is this giant, ugly hideous book and on each and every page is every sin you have ever committed and across from you at the table is the person Jesus and we know that this book of sin is real and we know if we possess it we are doomed to a life separated from God and so here's what I want you to do Slide your big book of sin over to Jesus and watch him take it away. And he's, he's putting it in the dumpster where it belongs. And, and for me, I do this occasionally. And for you, you might have needed this for the 10th time, the 100th time, however many times Others of you, maybe you've never done this before. Maybe you have been just carrying your big book of sin around you forever and ever, and it's heavy and it's hurting, and people can see it, and it's, it's gross. And you just gave it to Jesus. I hope and pray that you feel lighter. I hope and pray that you put your hope in the person that throws your sin away, not in your sin. You can open your eyes some of us, we, we give our stuff to Jesus and then uh, we rummage through the dumpster when we think he's not looking to try to grab it and we try to live with it and we try to hang on to it. Where, where is that getting you? You have to release 
everything to him and put your hope in him. Imagine with me for a brief moment, what would the world look like if you forgot about your sin for just a moment and you, you focused on Jesus? Do you think that your lives would be different? Do you think your workplace environment would be different? I think our schools for our students would be different. I think the homes that we live in would be different. I think our parenting skills would be different. And as we've been talking about, all hope is not lost. This hope uh, in general, this kind of idea of hope. Uh, we also, I want to just bring up the hope in this next generation. The hope in these students, the hope for these students. Parents, I need to tell you something today. Grandparents, I need to talk to you for a moment. If you want the students to get it and understand, you have to set it up for them. Because what you put your hope in, you train your kids to put their hope in. So is your hope in your job, status, car, house, relationship, or is your hope in Jesus? Maybe you've heard the phrase, monkey see, monkey do. These students are moldable and shapeable. That's why I love them so much because we get to help train them and mold them. But I see these kids once, maybe twice a week. You get every single day with them. How are you training them to put their hope in Jesus? And if you haven't put your hope in Jesus I would really, really encourage you and challenge you to do that today. Because if you put your hope in anything else, two things. Number one, it's easy to see where your hope is. And number two, if your hope is not in Jesus, it's fraudulent, it's fake, it's not real. And specifically for these students, for me, for you, we want authenticity. We want to be real. It's, it's on our wall. We want, we want to be real. Church, I hope that you understand that nothing is better, nothing compares to the love, joy, and hope found in the person of Jesus Christ. <laughs> so again, who do you put your hope and trust in? I think for some of us that's easy to say because we've been doing it for so long, but maybe for some of us, we've never actually put our hope in Jesus before. And so before you leave today, I, I want to encourage you to talk to someone, to pray with someone. We're going to have uh, myself and Pastor Mike will be up here. We'll have our prayer partners over by the cross when we're finished praying. If you need to make a decision of any kind today, if you need prayer for any reason at all, please do not leave this building before doing so. God is so good. Jesus saves. I enjoyed our time together. I love you. Let me pray, and you can be on your way. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you so much, God, and you love us. You love us so much, you sent your son to die for us, to, to, to pay the price and sacrifice for our big, ugly book of sin, God. And Lord, as we leave today, I just pray that these people are encouraged to know that no matter what we're going through, no matter what we're dealing through, uh, dealing with God, uh, you are still good. And God, we love you and we praise you.
In your name, amen. Hey, thanks for being here. If you see a student, encourage them on your way out. Thank you so much. We're so glad you were able to join us today. If you'd like more information on this teaching or any other teaching, check out our website at mvcchome.org. Thank you.